Well, we are continuing on in uh, the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, um, if you don't have one on your phone or you bring one with you, we have some on the back table. We would love to give those to you uh, as a gift. So feel free to help yourself if you're without a copy of God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 7 is where we will be as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. When I was uh, in college, I would do a lot of hiking. I went up to school in in Reno, and so there's a lot of great hiking trails up there. And uh, one of the trails I had always wanted to do was the Hunter Lake Trail. Maybe some of you have done it. It's uh, it's about a 13-mile hike, six miles up, six miles back, and uh, it's supposed to be great, right? It's a great hike, a cool lake. Um, so one day I decided to do the trail. It was late spring and started off pretty well. Went past a couple ponds and then through this really cool grove of, of trees. It was a really, really nice hike. And eventually I came to the end of the trail and there was no lake. There was no lake. Uh, I had taken a wrong turn right at the very beginning of the hike. I'd gone to the right instead of the left and I'd ended up at a dead end. Uh, unfortunately for me, it was still a great hike and the views at the dead end were, were still pretty good. Uh, and I was able to make it back to my car. You know, I survived. Um, but other hikers are not always so fortunate, right? Uh, if you're doing a long hike, a long distance hike, a wrong turn in some cases can mean the difference between life and death. The path that you take matters because it can take you either closer or farther from where you want to go. And it's not just true for hiking, but it's true spiritually as well. Everybody takes a path when it comes to spiritual and religious things. And while it's a popular idea um, in, in our, you know, our, our very open society today that many paths can take you to God, Jesus presents a completely different picture in our text this morning, in the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we'll be looking at Jesus' teaching that there are really only two paths in life. There are really only two gates that you and I, that all people, can go through. And the gate that you enter, the pathway you walk, has incredibly significant implications for the final destiny of your soul. Let's read Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for God's help as we come to his word today. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we get to gather this morning to hear from Jesus himself. We get to hear from you. And Lord, you have quite an important message for us today, as you do on all days. But Lord, this message is particularly urgent and pressing for us. Father, I I pray that as we come to your word today, that you would open our eyes to what Jesus is saying, that you would help us to understand, Lord, that you would help us to take seriously the state of our souls, the state of our lives, and to ask the question, which gate am I entering through? And Lord, the answer to that question, as you know, is so important, so vital. So would you be with us today? Help us to understand your word. Help me to teach it clearly, that you would be glorified and your people would be helped. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this text, teaching of the narrow gate and the wide gate, is not an unfamiliar one to Christians. Many of us have heard it uh, over and over. Uh, My brother Curtis loves to refer to the narrow gate often. 
uh, in terms of a person coming to know Christ. So it's a familiar text for us today. Uh, And when we approach this text, we usually start thinking immediately about how Jesus describes these two gates, right? We start thinking about the, the character and quality of the gates and the paths related to them. But we don't often stop to think about what a gate is. What is Jesus talking about when, he, when he's talking about this wide gate and the narrow gate? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about a gate, I think about a, a gap in a fence that has a swinging door, right? Something like that. Uh, when, when I was growing up, we had this big aluminum gate between our front yard and our backyard, and you know, we'd hang on it and swing, and it was a good time. That's usually what I think about, something that separates your, your yards. But in Jesus' day, for his hearers, a gate was something completely different and really something far more important. Uh, the, the word gate uh, that Jesus is referring to here actually occurs in the Bible nearly 400 times. Right? An insignificant word like gate occurs in the Bible nearly 400 times, primarily in the Old Testament. The gate was part of a city. Uh, it was really the center of city life. This would be a common area for people to socialize. Uh, there were often markets in the gate of a city. Um, it was a place where kings would go to make a pronouncement. Uh, legal tribunals, the court, would sometimes be held in the gate. Prophets and teachers would come to deliver their message there in the gate, since that's where people would gather. In other words, the gate was the important part of a city. But there's something uh, more important that the gate would do that has relevance for Jesus' teaching this morning. You see, a gate, that word describes the entrance or exit to a city. Cities were surrounded by walls, and a gate would be the way in or out of that city. Jesus isn't talking about an agricultural sort of door, right, that would let sheep in or out or, or, or separate pastures. Jesus is talking about the entrance to a city. Now, usually cities in Jesus' day had two gates. One was for vehicles, for uh, large herds of livestock. The second gate was for pedestrians and, and smaller animals. So to enter a gate, to pass through, which is Jesus, what, uh, what Jesus tells us to do in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. To enter through a gate would be to pass from being outside a city and its walls to inside the city. And it's going to be important to have that in mind as we approach this text. So again, Jesus is describing the entrance to a city, something far more significant than what we usually think about. And he makes clear in verse 13 which gate we should choose. He tells his audience on on the mount that day, and he tells us today, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. And as we read earlier, there are two gates here, the wide gate and the narrow gate. And Jesus' instruction to us implies that a person will pass either through the wide gate or the narrow gate. And Jesus, again, instructs us and gives us direction as to which one we should seek. These two gates, these two ways, reflect a common theme in Scripture. Uh, Throughout the Bible, there are two ways, two paths, two potential routes that are described. For example, in Psalm 1, we see a description of the wicked man and the righteous man. The last verse of Psalm 1 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's two, two ways, two paths, two gates. Likewise, Proverbs paints a similar picture. Proverbs 10, 16 says, The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Or Proverbs 15, 9, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. We see the same picture of two possible ways to go. Moses, as he prepared to bring the people of Israel into the promised land of Canaan, 
said something similar to them as well, emphasizing the path of, of obedience to God and his law versus idolatry. Here's what Moses tells the people in Deuteronomy 30. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to take possession of it. So in other words, if you obey God and do what is right, God will bless you. That's what he told the Israelites. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, Moses says, I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land you're going over to possess. So there's two possibilities for the Israelites here. Either they obey God and are blessed and live, or they disobey God and are cursed and perish. Two ways here. Yet we would be mistaken to think that Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 7 is simply reducible to just good versus evil, to being good versus being bad. That's not quite where Jesus is going. He's not saying less than this. He is saying much more. And as we really dive into the meat of Jesus' teaching about these two gates, we will see that one gate, the wide gate, is the entrance to the city of destruction. But the other gate, the narrow gate, is the entrance to the city of life. And these gates themselves represent, in a way, our response to Jesus and his teaching. Remember, he's been teaching, we've been in this uh, Sermon on the Mount for two chapters, right? Three chapters, I guess, at this point. Jesus has taught a lot of things to his audience, to those hearers in his day. And now he is starting to press home, how will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus and to his teaching? So let's look closer at these gates and the two ways that go with them. In verse 13, we see the wide gate and the easy way. The wide gate and the easy way. Jesus does tell us to enter through the narrow gate, but he begins to describe in verse 13 a different gate for us, right? The wide gate. This gate is described as, as broad, as spacious. There's a lot of room to enter through this gate. Its walls are not confining. It's not restrictive. Uh, it, is, it is a wonderful experience to pass through, so it would seem. And because it is so wide and so spacious, a person can enter through it in any way they please, right? There's enough room for them to do whatever they want. Now, in, in Jesus' day, this would probably be the main gate of the city, right? Where all of the people would pass through to enter that place. But, as I mentioned, Jesus says to enter the, the narrow gate. So, we know the wide gate is not where we should want to go. What does this gate represent? When the parable of Jesus' teaching, the wide gate represents the broad, pluralistic, popular avenues that people go about in their life. This is the gate of whatever choices you want to make to get to heaven that don't involve Jesus on his own terms. Right? The wide gate is every other religion besides Christianity. The wide gate is man's twisted versions of Christianity. The wide gate is no religion at all. This gate lets you do what you want, how you want, when you want, to who you want. Perhaps above this gate would be written the motto, Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Again, this is the well-known, the well-loved, the popular gate. It is roomy, it is spacious. It's the place to go. And Jesus describes the road, the path, right, the way that leads up to this gate as easy, as easy. 
Literally in the Greek, this word means spacious. It is easy to travel. It's, it's flat. It's smooth. It's wide enough to move about comfortably. You're not going to be jostled. There's enough space for you to have your own, your own bubble on this path. A few years ago, our family was up at the lake trying to find a beach to go to. It was a Saturday in the summer, and it was probably a doomed plan from the, from the start. We were on the south end of Lake Tahoe, and uh, I thought, well, maybe we can avoid the crowds if we go to Fallen Leaf Lake, which is a less well-known lake just south of Tahoe. And so we went there, and the day use area was full, but there's a marina around the other side of the lake. So I said, well, let's give it a shot. Now there's a road that goes around one side of the lake, and uh, it's, it's a pretty harrowing road. It's less than single lane, right? And you've got a mountain on this side and then a drop off to the lake on that side. And so, of course, we're on the side that goes to the, uh, you know, we're on the, on the right-hand side of the road, right? And uh, it's pretty busy. There's a lot of cars on that road, so you've got to be strategic. And uh, if you ask my wife what that road looks like, she probably couldn't tell you because her eyes were closed so tight, right? Now, compare that to the four-lane freeway up in Reno. Man, that is wide, that is spacious. You can zip in and around cars. You have enough room, more than you could please, right? Many cars can easily drive on it. It is a wide, roomy, spacious road. That's the kind of road that goes through the wide gate. And this road really is describing the actual life a person is living, which includes their, their moral convictions, their beliefs about God, about themselves, the things they do in life, all of these things. And the reason that this path is so easy to travel is because of what it does not require. This road requires really nothing of you unless you want to. It's all up to you, right? You get to determine how you walk on this road. And it's easy to just do whatever you want in life, right? It's, it's easier to just do what comes naturally. So why wouldn't somebody want to travel this path and enter by this gate? Sounds like a pretty, pretty, good, uh, pretty good travel experience. Live however you want. Go through the easy way. Right? Who wouldn't choose this path? But we find a startling revelation at the end of verse 13. Even though the path is comfortable, even though the way is easy to pass through, the ultimate destination, the city that this gate enters into, Jesus says, is that of destruction. The gate is wide, the, the road is easy, and it leads to destruction. Now, perhaps there's a sense in which Jesus here refers to the way that by living apart from God's design, we may experience temporal destruction in our own lives. We may bring harm to ourselves, but really that's not his main point here. Destruction does not refer primarily to physical temporal destruction, but really to the eternal judgment and destruction of God. Now, this wide gate and the way associated with it may seem grand and easy and beautiful, but in reality it leads to the condemnation and destruction of people's Souls. This is the same kind of destruction that Peter talks about in his second epistle when he says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, this destruction, this final judgment, is the ultimate destination of those who travel the wide path and pass through the wide gate. That's where it goes. This brings a great deal of seriousness to what Jesus says, doesn't it? It's not really a cutesy parable about gates anymore, right? But it's very serious. Everybody who takes a path in life apart from the narrow gate and the narrow way 
ultimately faces destruction and condemnation and may not even realize it until they've passed through and entered the city because everything seems so grand until you get to the other side. We must be careful not to get this idea that, that this path is simply one that people ignorantly and blindly wander down um, because they're just carried along by the current, right? Oblivious to what they're doing. At its core, this path and this gate moves away from God. It moves against God. And Paul in Romans 3 describes the natural state of people, you have you and me, as this. He says, in, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This wide path is easy. The wide gate is easy to enter because it's what comes naturally to man. But it is what is against God. And it's true that some people will face a deeper level of judgment and destruction from God for their sins, for rejecting Him, for walking in rebellion against Him. That's true. But all people naturally walk this path. This is the path we all start out walking. Adolf Hitler, the person trying to work their way into heaven by good deeds, the agnostic soccer mom down the street, they are all walking this wide path. Perhaps you are walking this wide path today, and the fate is the same. And Jesus goes on in, at the end of verse 13 to point out that those who enter by this wide gate, those who walk the wide path, are many. This isn't just the worst of the worst, right? not just the evil dictators and serial killers of the world. He says it is many, it is the majority of people. This is where natural man's course takes him. Living for the now as I define it, right, is the default position of man. And Jesus tells us the majority of people will walk on this path and arrive at the destruction of their souls. And this path and this gate seems great for now, but life is short, isn't it? And then what? And then what? Friend, let me ask you, are you walking the broad path? Are you headed toward the narrow gate? If you are, it may be gratifying now, maybe easy now, it may get you what you think you want now, but hear the words of Jesus. It only leads to destruction. Jesus is giving us a warning today about this path and this gate. So what is your response to Christ and the Sermon on the Mount? We've heard a lot of teaching from Jesus over the past few weeks. Not all of it easy. Most of it difficult, right? And if we reject or have disinterest or ignore Jesus and what he says, then those feet are on the wide path. But they don't have to stay there. That's not the only path that you can walk. There is another gate. There is another path. And it is one that doesn't lead to destruction, but one that leads to life for your soul. Now look at the next verse with me. Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We see in verse 14 the narrow gate and the hard way. And as we look at verse, verse 14 here, we see Jesus refer again to the narrow gate. And he told his disciples, he tells us to enter by that gate in verse 13, and now we start to see why. Uh, this gate, the narrow gate, and the way to it is much different than that of the wide gate. Jesus describes it as narrow. It's a, a small gate. 
Something tucked off to the side, not easy to pass through. It's confining. You might feel the walls brush against your shoulders as you walk through it. This is not the gate traveled by the masses. It is not the map, uh, the map route, right? It's not going to be there. But this gate is not just narrower than the wide gate. It's really of a completely different quality altogether. And there's an aspect in which the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount plays into what Jesus is describing with the narrow gate. Again, what is your response to it? If you reject Christ and his teaching, you are not going through the narrow gate. So part of this narrow gate, part of passing through it, is accepting and submitting to the teaching of Jesus. But that's only part of it. It's only part of it. You see, this gate is actually a person, and the person is Jesus himself. And Jesus describes himself in, this sim <coughs> excuse me, in similar language in John's Gospel. Turn to John chapter 10 with me briefly. John chapter 10. Jesus is describing himself here, starting in verse 7. And here's what he says. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You hear what Jesus says there? He says that he is the door, he is the entrance, and what do those who enter through him receive? Life. Life. He brings them into good pasture. Perhaps even more well known than this is Jesus' response to Thomas about the way to God in John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says that he is the way. He is the gate. He is the path. And the metaphors are a little mixed, but they're communicating the same exact thing. Jesus is the narrow gate in Matthew 7, 14. Nobody can pass through this narrow gate apart from faith in Christ alone. There's no other positive alternative to the narrow gate. There's not a narrower gate or a middle gate. There are two. And being a kind person, that does not get you through the narrow gate. That's not what it takes. Doing good deeds does not get you through the narrow gate. Doing Christian activities, being the best church member in history, does not get you through the narrow gate. It is by faith in Christ alone that we pass through the narrow gate. And the nature of that faith is very important. We could say that faith in Christ is the key through the narrow gate. And faith is made up of three ingredients, right? If you were to look in a cookbook, faith is going to have three ingredients. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. So to have this narrow gate faith in Christ, all three ingredients are required. Okay? Um, only God can provide these ingredients through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in birthing a person anew. That's what Jesus describes it as in John 3. Giving a person a new heart, being born again. So the first ingredient, knowledge, refers to knowing the information about who Jesus is and what he did, right? Uh, we, we should be able to say, well, I'm aware 
what the Bible teaches about Jesus. I'm aware that he died on the cross for sinners and rose again on the third day. I know about that teaching. I know that that is what Christianity teaches. But that's, that's not enough by itself, is it? Many people are aware that Jesus lived and died. They may even be aware of what the Bible says regarding these things. That is not enough to pass through the narrow gate. Satan knows a lot more than you and I do. The second ingredient, assent. That just means agreeing with the gospel, agreeing with the things that the Bible says about Jesus are true. In other words, you accept the information that you've received about Christ as true. You consider it accurate. You believe it to be true. Yes, it is true that Jesus died for sinners like me, but this is also not enough to pass through the narrow gate. And a lot of times we, we stop there, right? We stop there. That is not enough. That is not saving faith. Knowing something, agreeing with it is not what the Bible calls us to. That's where the third ingredient comes in. Trust. Trust. This is the biblical response to that information to that ascent. And it is not a response really to information, but to a person. You can't trust information. You trust people. You trust people. Not only do I know that Jesus died for sinners and accept this is true, I'm going to trust him fully to save me from my sins. I'm trusting Christ. That is key. I love how the 1689 London Baptist Confession words it. It says that in trusting Christ, we cast our soul upon the truth thus believed. We throw it upon those truths and trust that it will hold. So in other words, narrow gate faith believes the right things about Christ, accepts them as true, but then trusts him personally as the object of faith. Not just trusting that Christ saves, but trusting him as Savior. We need all three ingredients to pass through the narrow gate, which is Christ himself. Knowledge and assent just gets you up to the gate, but it is trust in Christ that gets you through it. And consider the implication of this for a moment. Consider what Jesus is saying. He's making it very clear that the way to the kingdom of heaven is an exclusive one. There are not multiple paths to God in Jesus' teaching here, are there? There is one path to destruction and one path to life. Not five paths to life, not ten paths to life, not even two. There is one, and it is through Christ alone. Right? But, but, you know, we have a little bit of confusion in our day. What about other groups like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses? They talk about Jesus, right? Um, they're, they're kind of Christians, right? Well, don't get me wrong. Many people in these religions are very nice people, right? They are very nice people. And they may do a lot of good things in their community, and that's great. Um, but we, we have to be real for a second. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons deny that Jesus is fully God. So think about this for a second, right? If you're passing through the narrow gate, which is Christ alone, that's equivalent to painting a gate of your own making right next to it. It's not going to get you through. You're going to run into the wall. The message preached by these groups may sound similar to Christianity on the surface, but really it is a wide gate message, and it leads to destruction. And, and really that goes for any system of belief apart from the orthodox Christian message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the message of the narrow gate. And that's why it is narrow. That's why Jesus describes it this way, because you and I don't get to define the terms. You and I don't get to decide who Jesus is. He is who he is, and he sets the rules. 
It is narrow because we don't define it. And, and the way of this gate, Jesus says in verse 14, is hard. It's hard. It's not a great advertising campaign here, is it? It's hard. This is the opposite of broad and easy. It means to be pressed in upon, to be afflicted, to suffer. The way that goes with the narrow gate is a way of suffering and hardship and difficulty. It is a hard path to walk. The path of the narrow gate is the pathway of Christian discipleship. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It is uh, the life of the Christian as we pass through the narrow gate in one sense, as we are born again, as we are saved. And in another sense, as we wait for our final entrance through the narrow gate into the consummated kingdom of God in our glorification. And the Bible is not shy or secretive about the hardship that comes with being a disciple of Jesus. The Bible doesn't try to brush that under the rug and say, hey, you become a Christian, it's going to be awesome. It's not selling us a bill of goods here. The Bible is very clear. It is hard to be a disciple of Jesus. The way is hard because of the self-denial that those who walk it are called to. Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if anyone would walk the path I am walking, let him deny himself, that's already hard enough, and take up his cross daily, uh-oh, that's really hard, and follow me. That's what Jesus calls his disciples to. Those who walk this path, this hard path, are called to deny their sinful desires, ideas, goals, behaviors, and are called to die to themselves and to live lives that glorify God. That is not easy. That is not easy. The hard path is hard because of the ridicule of the world upon those who walk it. 1 Peter 4.4 4, uh, describes how when Christians live in a way that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus, uh, he says, with respect to this, they, meaning those who, who do not believe in Christ, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, they mock you, they ridicule you. Those on the broad path may look over and see those, those lunatics on the narrow path going some crazy direction, right? Look at those guys, right? Somebody walking on that path's got to, that path has to be mentally ill or delusional or something, right? Live a little, man. The hard path is hard because of the attacks of Satan on those who walk it. Now Peter again says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Wild beasts on the path. Satan's delight is to make those on the hard way, heading to the narrow gate, regret and rethink that decision. His goal is to do whatever he can to prevent those pilgrims from reaching their destination. This is a pathway of hardship and suffering. We have to be honest about that. Jesus is. He hasn't had any qualifiers here. He just says the path is hard. It's difficult. This is why Jesus tells us in Luke 13 that we must count the cost of discipleship. We must take that seriously. Uh, too often we just say, hey, pray the sinner's prayer and, and then go on about your life. But Jesus says the path is hard. He's honest with that. We should be too. If you want to become a Christian because you want an easier life, you're still on the wide path. No, this gate is a narrow gate. It is a difficult path. But we have a reversal here. While, while the seemingly good path led to destruction, Jesus teaches us that it is through the narrow gate, by the hard path, that a person enters the city of life, he says at the end of verse 14. That is the kingdom of God. 
And just as the destruction described in verse 13 is eternal destruction, this is eternal life. Eternal life. And, 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 you know, at its core, eternal life is not just simply living forever, you know. It's not just existing forever and ever and ever without end. That's not really what eternal life is. That's maybe, maybe a grain of it. But eternal life is being brought into the kingdom of God, being made free from sin, and most importantly, being brought into the presence of God to dwell forever. That's eternal life. It's so much richer. And the destination through this gate and on this path is not just going to heaven in some kind of ambiguous way. It's being included in the restoration and redemption of all things according to the plan of God. So if you want salvation, if you want the forgiveness of your sins, if you want your soul to be saved and to live forever with God, then Jesus is clear, it only comes through the narrow gate. That only comes through Him and no other. So when do we pass through this gate? Well, there is a sense in which we as Christians have both passed through the narrow gate when we, uh, when we come to know Christ personally and are born again and repent of our sins and confess Him as Lord. But at the same time, there's a sense in which we, we have not yet fully passed through it. And we call this the concept of the already and the not yet. It's one of those paradoxes in the Bible. How, how something can be true, but not fully realized. Now, here's what I mean. We are told as Christians, uh, we have a new citizenship that is not of this world. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, You are no longer strangers and aliens to God and His promises, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 3, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship, Paul says. Now, I love what Hebrews 12, says. This is so cool to think about. It says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering. And we think about the new Jerusalem as, as you know, this idea that when Christ returns, he will make all things new. And we will dwell with him in the heavenly city forever and ever. But there's a sense in which we have already come to it. We just read that. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You already have citizenship in heaven, even though you're on earth. Right? These things are secure realities for us. Because in a way, we have entered through the narrow gate as it is. But at the same time, we're still pilgrims through this world. We read this morning how Peter calls us sojourners and exiles. We're making our way on the narrow path to that day where we will finally and fully be with the Lord in the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. So we're already through the narrow gate, but until we either die or Christ returns, our journey's not yet over. We're still walking the narrow path to that final destination. So friend, let, let me ask you today, which gate are you headed toward? Are you on the wide gate or are you on the narrow gate? Which path are you on? Are you on the wide path or the narrow path? Are you on the path of discipleship to Christ, trusting and entering through Him alone? Or are you being discipled by the, by the world? Are you being taught by the world and all that is in it? Seeking to enter by your own good works? Jesus brings this very sobering reality to bear upon us at the end of verse 14. Very few find this gate. Very few find the narrow gate. While there certainly will be many throughout history who enter the gate and tread this hard path, who enter into their eternal rest in Christ, 
it will not be the majority of humanity. Jesus is clear. It is not the natural, popular, common way. And most will not enter through it. The wide gate of a city would be easy to find. The main road leads right to it. But the narrow gate, not so. It would only be found by those looking for it, by those who have left the broad road to find it. As one commentator says, nobody drifts into the narrow way by chance. Few find it, Jesus says. The majority of humanity will not pass through this gate and will not enter eternal life. That is, that is a very serious thing for us to consider. And it's not because the gate is defective. It's not because God didn't put it in a good spot. It's because the majority of humanity is committed to walking their own path of being the gods of their own life and entering their own gate, and God allows them to do so. But what's our responsibility? Do we have a responsibility in this? Well, I think we do. And that responsibility is to say to those who are on the wide path, let me show you a different way. Let me lead you to the narrow gate. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about how you can have eternal life. We call that evangelism. Giving good news that you don't have to go through this gate. You don't have to walk your way to destruction. But there's a path that leads to life and it is through Christ alone. We must be careful not to be so focused on our own journey on the narrow path to the narrow gate that we ignore all those on the wide path. Jesus doesn't. He's talking to some of them right now. So what we believe about Jesus matters. What we believe and accept about his teaching matters. Which means that how Jesus' teaching plays out in our life and the way we live matters. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for a while. And I think, again, that's the immediate context of Jesus' teaching. What's your response to the Sermon on the Mount? But really what Jesus says here extends to all of Scripture. Do you accept all of God's Word? Do you believe it? Do you trust the author of Scripture to redeem you through Christ? Now, friend, if you realize this morning you're on the broad path that you're headed towards the wide gate of destruction, then hear me. It is not too late to pass through the narrow gate. It is not too late to go walk that narrow path. Jesus calls you today to repent of your sin, to turn off the wide path, to follow Him, to enter through Him and receive the eternal life and salvation that He can bring. Today is the day of salvation. Now, if you are on the narrow path, if you are a disciple of Jesus who is trusting him alone for salvation, press on. Press on. The narrow path is hard, but keep walking. Keep going. Keep moving towards that final entrance into eternal life. The path may be hard, but the destination is worth it. And really, it is not a path that you walk alone, but one in which Christ walks beside you and lead you there. So there are, in reality, two responses to Christ and his teaching, and two outcomes for these responses. And the Apostle John, who heard this very teaching of Jesus, who was sitting there next to Christ on the mountain, summarizes it well in John 3. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Will you obey the Son and enter through the narrow gate? Let us pray.
our Lord Jesus. You've given us hard words today. Words that challenge and confront. But Lord, at the same time, you have given us loving words of warning. For Lord, you do not want to see your people pass through the wide gate, but through the narrow one. Lord, we thank you for giving us a signpost, for pointing us to you, for showing us the path to true eternal life, which is through you. Father, I pray that you would be with those who are walking the narrow path, who are entering through the narrow gate. Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would help them and strengthen them in endurance and in patience as they, uh, as they journey through this life. It is not an easy one. And Lord, at times it is so hard. But we thank you that you use all those things on the narrow path for our good, to make us more like Christ, to bring us closer to, Lord, really that eternal life. Father, I pray for those who, who may be on the wide path, who may enter through the wide gate. Lord, I pray they would hear the words of Christ today to enter through the narrow gate that leads to life, that they would see the peril that is before them, that they would turn to Christ, that they would have that eternal life that comes by entering through the narrow gate. May they know your love for them, Lord, in this text that this text is a warning of love. Our God, we thank you for our time in your word today. May it bring about your purposes according to your will. May Christ be glorified. We pray all this in his name. Amen.